Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 18, as we journey through the book of Acts together. Uh, last week, uh, we just took a close look at what it looked like to live on gospel mission in a world full of idols. And let's be honest, um, that is the world that we live in. Etienne just gave our young adults a charge for that for the next season of their life. But let's be honest, like if, if we truly are just longing to and going through the paces of walking with the Lord through this idol-ridden world that we live in, like... We're going to become weary. We're going to face much hardship as if life itself wasn't tough enough. Joining the Holy Spirit in gospel mission to saturate the heartland with the good news of the gospel, it's going to become wearisome and it's, we're going to feel defeated and we're going to feel beat up at times. And so we're going to continue following the journey of Paul's life into Acts chapter 18 as we take a close look at what it, what it looks like in this season of Paul's life um, when he needed a second wind. So I'm going to call this sermon, I'm bad at giving sermon titles and sermon points. Honestly, I just try to get up here and make a point um, before we end our time together. But I'm going to call this sermon discussion today, When You Need a Second Wind. I bet somebody here this morning might could use that. Uh, let me just tell you as a disclaimer, if you are somebody that is needing a second wind, if this word is like aimed right at you. Uh, the principles we're going to discuss are going to be broad because I want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to help guide you in the specifics. All right. So we'll talk about a few things this morning that are kind of broad, all encompassing ideas um, that we learn through Paul's life as he is like trusting God for a second wind in his life. And you're going to have to really get before the Lord and ask him, Lord, how does this play out in my specific story? And I want you to know like that's part of the role we want to play as your pastors and elders is sit down in those crossroads of life with you to help you figure out your godly options, all right? That's what we're here for. Um, so as we wrestle through this together, I'm going to just trust that the Lord's going to fill in the blanks. Let me, let me summarize the last couple of weeks of the Apostle Paul's life that we've read about in the book of Acts. You may have missed pieces along the way, so let me just summarize it as best as I can for you. Um, Paul and his best friend had a falling out. They got in an argument, a sharp argument, the scriptures call it, and they had a falling out, so they just kind of went their separate ways. That, that'll really mess up a lot of stuff when relationships go wrong, don't it? So it starts out there, and things start headed downhill there, hill there. Then he has difficulty discerning what God's direction is for his next steps. He gets beaten within an inch of his life, imprisoned. A mob is formed to come after he and his new team, Timothy and Silas. Paul's family also comes under attack and gets thrown into jail for housing him. The mob follows him from city to city to city. He gets separated from his team, publicly insulted, laughed off the stage, and questioned all the while he's been doing his best to walk with Jesus and preach the good news, but it just doesn't seem to be working too well. You ever feel like that? Life's been chaotic for Paul in these last several weeks. I don't want us to miss that thread. I think we're supposed to pick up on that because God steps in in chapter 18 and has some words of encouragement for Paul that we'll get to eventually, but essentially... After all that chaos Paul has been through in these last several weeks, this is why we land in chapter 18, verse 1, that says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
Now, some scholars have concluded that the reason why Luke, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, was so direct and succinct in saying Paul left Athens and moved on to Corinth, this was Luke's way of saying things weren't going very well, so he just packed it up and moved on. Things were just kind of not going Paul's way. Sure, some people were coming to know the Lord, and that was awesome, but it felt like the insults, the beatings, the imprisonments, the running for his life was far outweighing the fruit that was being produced by the ministry, and Paul was defeated. He was discouraged. He was worn out. He was at the end of his rope. He was trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, who would have blamed him if he would have just packed up and went home? I mean, he packs up from Athens, which was a difficult situation. Now he goes on to Corinth, which is going to be a difficult situation. And who would have blamed Paul after all that if he just packed up his stuff and went back to Tarsus and just cashed it in? Let somebody else risk their life for the sake of the gospel. This has been enough. Haven't I done enough? I've been within an inch of my life. Every day I open my mouth for the sake of the gospel. Like, isn't that enough, God? It's time for me to let somebody else do the thing. But that's not what he did. As a matter of fact, he packed up and he went on to Corinth. He moved on to the next season, but this is what the season looked like. Verse 2, it says, he found a Jew named Aquila. Is that how you say that? Aquila? Aquila? It just doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. I don't know. Found a Jew named Aquila, a dude named Aquila, a native of Pontius. Probably shouldn't name your kid Aquila. It'll be confusing to everybody around him. It's just hard to say. He was a native of Pontius recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, much more easy to say. Now, Priscilla and Aquila uh, were power, a power couple in the New Testament. God used them in some mighty ways to even disciple some of the leaders of the church as a couple. They used their home for the sake of mission to invest in gospel leaders. And so we'll see them pop up throughout the New Testament as you read that. But anyway, Paul links up with them because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome, so they had to scatter as well. So we believe that Priscilla and Aquila were followers of Jesus at this point, but because of their Jewish heritage, they were forced to leave Rome. And so Paul went to see them, spent a little time with them. He had heard about the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila, and he thought, you know what, I need to get around some good people because I've been having a whole lot of bad people chase me here and there and everywhere. And so he went and stayed with them, and because he was of the same trade, He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. Say tent makers. Tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Um, As we can see right here, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, he continued to remain faithful in his calling. Listen to me. If you need a second win, if you're in a season of weariness... The Apostle Paul, he continued to remain faithful to his calling. He just changed up his his rhythms for a little while. He moved in with some folks where he could find some healing. He spent a little more time doing his tent making, but he didn't give up on the gospel ministry. We just read in the last chapter that every day he was in the temple and in the streets preaching the gospel in the marketplace, ministering to the people for the glory of God. But now in this season of transition in his life, Monday through Friday, he's at work making tents, and on Saturday, he goes and preaches the gospel. He didn't give up on his calling. There wasn't a course correction in his life. He didn't just totally cash it in, but he was weary, and he was wounded, so he had to change up the rhythm for a little bit. Listen, if uh, no one finds God's promises to be true if they quit on God. God had been promising Paul that he was going to use him for his glory, been using 
Paul in a powerful way, but here's the reality. This is, this is a principle that I want to give to you for you to wrestle with in your own life that sometimes you have to change your pace in order to maintain progress, okay? We saw Paul do it. We saw him stay faithful to the calling. We saw him keep his eyes fixed on what God had called him to do. But there was a season that he had to change his pace in order to maintain his progress. I'm actually learning this firsthand in my life right now because I'm training for my very first and most likely last triathlon. Yeah. You know, doing an endurance race, I see a couple Ironmen in the room right now. Y'all can speak to this. Doing an endurance race really has everything to do with pace. Like, you just can't be worried about how fast or slow the people around you are going. You just got to do you. You know what I'm saying? You've got to keep a pace that works for you so that you can keep on going and eventually reach the finish line. And as I'm training for this, I'm learning that, like, some days the wind's at my back and the humidity is low and I'm spending a lot of time in shaded areas and it's just working my way. I feel great. My body's firing on all cylinders. And it's like, oh, man, it's a piece of cake. I'm ready to go. And then other days, the circumstances around me change. It's a little too hot. The humidity's too high. I took a different track. It's not going as smoothly. My bike's messing up. I'm starting to feel terrible. I didn't eat the way I should the night before. And the environment around me and in me changes. So what has to happen is in order for me to maintain progress, I've got to change up my pace. Sometimes i got to slow down a little bit if I'm going to make it. I wonder how much of that is also true for our lives. Maybe even our walk with God. I don't want us to be under any illusions that this is a sprint with God. It's a walk. Now as a church, like we long to see fully formed disciples making fully formed disciples. And we're going to bang that drum, and we're going to create the rhythms, and we're going to offer the training, and we're going to create the environments. And yeah, we want you to be involved in all the stuff all the time. But here's the reality of it is, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes the wind's at your back, and you're knocking it out of the park on all cylinders. Your relationship with other people, your relationship with the Lord is just going fantastic. Maybe you even led someone to Christ on a lunch break at work. I mean, maybe you're in a season where you're hitting it out of the park, or maybe you're in a season where the environment around you has changed so much that if you're going to continue to drive towards the goal that the Lord has called you to, you might have to change up your pace a little while. You don't give up on the things that matter. You don't stop doing the things that you know the Lord's telling you to do, but man, ministry burnout, for those of you that are getting involved, can be a real thing. We have to remind this of our staff sometimes, like, man, we need to press on towards the goal, but we don't need to do so at a pace that's going to end up being detrimental to us and the people around us. We see Paul kind of, man, he was preaching every day, but now he took some time to make some money because he needed to in order to carry out the gospel ministry. He took some time to spend some time with some people that were safe for him. People that he could just be ministered to by instead of having to constantly pour out. Here's a family that's going to pour into him. And sometimes we need to change our pace up to continue progress, even in our relationship with the Lord. But he continued to stay steadfast in that. And then Silas and Timothy finally show back up when they realized that the mob hadn't chased him into Corinth. They decided to come along. 
They came from Macedonia and noticed that Paul was occupied with the word as he always is. No matter what your pace is, you need to be occupied with the word of God. He was occupied with the word as he always is, testifying to the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, the one that God had promised was Jesus. It is, in fact, Jesus. Guys, you're missing it. You got to know this. Like God showed up in the flesh and his name was Jesus. And when they opposed him, as they often did, and they reviled him, as they often did, he finally shook out his garments. That would be the Bible's way of saying he threw up his hands. He's like, ah, I'm tired of this stuff, man. I've been trying with y'all forever, and y'all ain't getting it. Y'all don't want to hear it, so I ain't bothering y'all no more. He shook out his garments, and he you ever feel like that around folks? He shook out his garments, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads because I'm innocent. And from now on, I ain't messing with y'all Jews anymore. I'm going to go and talk to the Gentiles, which would be people like you and me. People that didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. I'm going to go talk to them. Maybe they'll listen to me. And so he left from there, and he went to a man named Titius Justice House, who was a worshiper of God. That, that's, that's the Bible's way of saying this guy was a Gentile but he chose to adhere to the Jewish faith. He worshiped God as a Jew, even though he was not born a Jew. So Paul went to this guy's house and started ministering to him. And then Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, his house just so happened to be next door to the synagogue. That's the Jewish synagogue, by the way. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul and believed Hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Um, here's the general concept I want to leave you with for this section right here. Uh, not, a, not a punchy bullet point kind of line, but just a concept that we can pull from this moment that might encourage you in your season of weariness as you're searching for a second wind. Um, old hurts may follow us into new seasons. Old hurts. Maybe following you into new seasons, but God's still bigger than what you are seeing. You know, Paul had changed his pace for a while, and then he's got refreshed. He got ready to go. His boys were back in town. So he got back on the preaching circuit. And the first time out the gate, he ends up throwing up his hands. Gosh, man, it's just like I was always been. I knew you were going to do that. I knew y'all were going to treat me like that. I did it anyway. I was trusting God. And, man, no good deed goes unpunished, does it? Man, some old hurts followed Paul into this new season of his life, but yet he was frustrated. He was weary. He was already bruised. I mean, the injury was already there. So when he got tapped again, like it felt the pain just as if it was before he was just hanging out with Priscilla and Aquila. But this strange turn of events as we see these verses kind of backed up right next to each other. He wrings out his garment. He says, man, I'm done messing with y'all. I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. So he goes over to this Gentile named Titius Justice House that just so happens to be right next door to the synagogue. And as he's ministering to this guy... The next thing that the scriptures tell us is that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and his whole family convert to Christ, give their lives to Jesus. This, this was the most powerful Jew in town. 
And so one of two things is happening here. Like the scripture doesn't really tell us because it wants us to see like this is a very odd and unexpected miracle. So one of two things happened. Either while Paul was ministering to the Jews, you know, the ones that he just shook out his garments and threw his hands up and said, I'm done with this. Some of the seeds that were planted in that conversation were taking root in the most powerful Jew in town's heart. He just didn't know it yet. And it took a little time for that to blossom. And before you know it, he gave his life to Christ. His whole family gave their life to Christ. It sends shockwaves through the city. A whole bunch of other Jews give their life to Christ. And Paul would have never noticed that because he had already wrung out his garments and walked out. Either that was the case, which is miraculous, or when he was at the neighbor's house, who just so happened to be the neighbor of the synagogue, and he was ministering the gospel to Titius Justice. I guess old Titius must have left his windows open or something. Because as he's preaching to Titius Justice, right next door, the ruler of the synagogue was doing whatever rulers of synagogues do, and the melodious sounds of the good news of the gospel traveled across the airwaves, and he heard it, and it convicted his heart, and he surrendered his life to Christ. Either way, this is an incredible miracle that's happening in the ministry of Paul. And this is kind of a reminder to me why I'm searching for a second wind. Like, this was God saying to Paul, hey, I know you're tired, man. Hey, I know you're weary. I know that you're beat up, and you're tired of being insulted, and you're tired of the persecution, and you're tired of the fear, and the pain, and the worry. The life is throwing at you right now, but hey, I, I just wanted you to know that I see that things are going pretty bad, but they're not quite as bad as you think. There's a miracle happening in the background. Man, you just can't see it. How could you? It's a God-sized thing. A miracle like that? that mere mortals, humans, we can't, we can't, cre we can't, we can't convince the ruler of the Jewish synagogue to trust in Jesus as Lord? That's the Holy Spirit stuff. That's so big. But it happened. It sent shockwaves through the city, and the very Jews that the apostle Paul had given up on were now converting to Christ one after the other all over town. There's a miracle working in the background. Paul just didn't see it yet. And that makes me wonder, like when I'm in those seasons of weariness and I'm needing a second win, it makes me wonder how much that I am leaning into the truth and the fact that the power of Almighty God is always at work, even though I might not be able to see it right in front of me. I bet you, in some of your very weary stories right now, there is a miracle of God afoot somewhere in the background. You just haven't seen it yet. Because let's be honest, when we get weary, when we get tired and stressed out and wounded and battered and beaten, we officially can't see clear anymore. You know what I'm saying? I know you don't want to hear that. But like, when we get so weary and so beat down that we're at the end of our rope, we officially don't have a clear view of life anymore. Our emotions are too high. Our wounds are too deep. Our weariness is too broad and far-reaching. And as a matter of fact, I was talking to a therapist friend of mine this week, and she said, you know, Dustin, she said, when, uh, just kind of as a general rule of thumb, like, for the average human being, if their heart rate rises above 95 beats a minute, they're 
prefrontal cortex, which is like your decision-making mechanism in your brain, it actually delegates decision-making to other parts of your brain that are not as rational. Just so you know, your resting heart rate right now, our Ironman triathletes' resting heart rate is probably around 60 to 70. The average person in here is probably somewhere between 75 and 90. And some of you guys that may, you know, deal with uh, other heart issues, you may be up around 100, all right, as your resting heart rate. But just know, like, for the average person sitting in this room, your resting heart rate is this close to you getting your feelings hurt, to you being reminded of something that went wrong, to somebody looking at you the wrong way, to somebody saying something to you, to an old hurt coming into a new season, that you have, you're this close to losing your mind and not being able to see in your situations clearly. We need to be reminded of that when we're in seasons of woundedness. We need to surround ourselves with Priscilla's and Aquila's godly counsel to help us see clearly when we're going through hardship and hard times if we're going to ever find our second win. I know that I can use it. But you know what? When I'm upset and when I'm hurting and when I'm struggling, I'm more convinced than ever that I, that I can see clearly. And that's probably the first problem. Y'all with me? Yeah. God know in the weariness of Paul, one of the few times, one of the few times that God steps into Paul's story and has a direct conversation with him happens right here. And this is what he says. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, listen, Grace Bible, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and don't be silent. Keep doing the thing I've been telling you to do, Paul. Don't be afraid. You can trust that I'm going to be with you doing the thing that I've told you to do. For I'm with you. No one's going to attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. This is the third just overarching theme of when you're searching for a second wind in your life. I want you to be reminded of the promises of God. Sometimes we have to tether our hearts to what's behind us if we're ever going to be able to move forward. And God has made some timeless promises to us. Now, these promises were to Paul, and some of these are very specific to what he was going through in his story. But there are some overarching promises, thematic promises of God that he gives to his people all throughout the scriptures that all show up right here. And so those right there are meant for you in your season of weariness while you're looking for a second win. And here's the ones that we can pull out and cling to, even though this was said to Paul. First one, first and foremost, he said, don't fear. Don't be afraid. I know there's so much that you don't understand about what's going on in your story right now. I know that there is much that is causing you worry and grief and anxiety, but don't be afraid. Tr trust me. God's saying, trust me with the mystery of the unknown spaces in your life. I'm orchestrating those things. There's miracles afoot. There's stuff I'm at work on in your life, but don't be afraid. Don't let your fear drive you towards directions and things and attitudes and actions and bitterness that like you have no place in being. Don't be afraid. 
Oh, by the way, God happens to tell us not to be afraid 365 times in the Bible. Just in case yesterday's don't be afraid wasn't enough for today, he gave you one for today too. 365 of them. Make sure you had one for every day of the year. He knew we would need to be reminded, don't be afraid. Next thing he tells Paul, he says, go on speaking, go on preaching, go on doing the thing that you already know to do. The thing that I told you to do when you came to the city of Corinth, which reminds me, here's the second promise for you. Keep, keep doing what I've told you to do, Grace Bible. I know, that, I know that you may not know exactly what to do, but don't stop doing the thing you already know to do. I'll say it again. I don't want you to miss that. I know you may not know exactly what to do, but don't stop doing the thing that you already know to do. A lot of times when we get weary, we don't just change our pace. We change direction. We allow ourselves in a heightened emotional state to make life-altering decisions. That is never a good idea. Remember, 95 BPM, get somebody else to help you make decisions. Keep doing the thing you know to do. Well, I'm sorting out and revealing to you in time what needs to be done right here in front of your face. Be faithful to that. I'll tell you what, like this is oftentimes where we go off the rails is because when things aren't going our way, we will just totally course correct on what we knew to do and we'll throw up our hands, kind of like what we saw Paul do and say, I'm done doing that. I'm trying something else. This just ain't working for me. New job, new marriage, new relationships, whatever. I need to just start fresh because you're desperately in need of a second win and God has some promises for you and God has some reminders for you in his word and he says it to the apostle Paul and he says it to you keep on doing what I've told you to do I'm going to sort this thing out don't, don't re derail this next season of your life through self-sabotage because you decided in a heightened emotional state that you're just going to change plans in your life like wait until you hear from me on that stuff keep your hands to the plow and oftentimes when we get to, this is where we mess this up, we stop doing what we know we're supposed to do and we end up doubling down on the chaos in our lives because we become a part of propagating more chaos in our lives. We try to take matters into our own hands and try to fix everything or recorrect everything and it ends up going downhill. It's like this downward spiral. It's because we're not trusting the Lord with the mystery of the spaces in our lives that we don't understand yet. He's at work, keep doing what... I've told you to do, and last but not least, he says this incredible promise that we see echo throughout the scriptures that is so true in every sense of the word. He says, because I am with you. Hey, Grace Bible, Jesus tells you, I am with you. He started the book of Matthew with Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus showed up, named, I am with you, God with us. He ends the book of Matthew with and lo, I will be with you always until the very end of the age. You think he's trying to prove a point? He says, I am with you. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. In their language, that's a triple negative. In other words, the way they phrased that, when God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, this is how he said it. I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you. Triple negative. You think he means what he's saying? When God repeats himself twice in the scripture, we better pay attention. When he gives you a triple dose, we really better pay attention. I will never, no, never, not ever leave you 
or forsake you. And I want to remind the person in the room that has been faithfully continuing to move forward in their walk with the Lord and what God has called them to do, but you're wondering where the heck he went. I wanted to remind you, he has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, no, never, not ever. He can't do it. He won't do it. He refuses under any circumstance. You might not see him. You might not hear him. You might not feel him, but he ain't going anywhere. I want to remind that person that's been faithful to the plow, but yet feels like God is a million miles away, that he ain't gone anywhere. He may be quiet right now, but he is near to you. He is hearing your prayers every time you open your mouth. He is feeling the breath roll off of your lips. He is not only near to you, he is dwelling within you. He has promised it, and it is true. I also wanted to say it to the person in the room that knows that because of crisis in your life, you have wandered off into the far country. You know God didn't go anywhere, but because of the chaos in your world, you wandered off yourself. And I want to remind you that he will never leave you or forsake you. Never, no, never, not ever. In other words, it doesn't matter where you plan to go. He's coming along whether he was invited or not. He ain't gone anywhere. He was with you in those dark spaces. He was with you in those moments when things fell apart, when you made horrible decisions that affected your life, when you wandered off into the far country, when you went through that season of brokenness, when you wondered whether or not God would ever take you back. He was still with you. Never, no, never, not ever will I leave you or forsake you. Sometimes when we're searching for a second wind, we just need to be reminded of the steadfastness and the trustworthiness of God and his promises that he ain't going anywhere. And he is a sufficient supply of strength and wisdom and grace and forgiveness and whatever it is that you need to survive this season of hardship in your life. He was just what the Apostle Paul needed, but the Apostle Paul had forgotten and needed to be reminded by the voice of God himself. So ladies and gentlemen, hear the voice of God tell you this morning, do not be afraid. Continue to do the thing that I have called you to do and know that I am with you always, always. Never, no, never, not ever will I leave you. Under any circumstances, it would be an infringement upon my character. I wouldn't even think of doing such a thing because I'm steadfast and true, and I keep my promises every time. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I can see why the Apostle Paul, by the time he wrote the letter back to the Philippians, after he had gone through much of this experience, I can see why he concluded this principle in his life and this battle cry, if you will, that I want to leave you with this morning. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, when he said these famous words that have echoed throughout history, and I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul, who was weary, but finally gained a second win. As a matter of fact, he told us in verse 11 that after this, he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He just continued to keep his hands to the plow, and God continued to refresh and restore him before he sent him back out again. But here's what the Apostle Paul gleaned from this season of his life that was chaotic and hard, but God stepped in to remind him of his promises. And I want to remind you, and may this be a battle cry for all of us. In Philippians chapter 3, 14, the Apostle Paul said these famous words, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what's coming, 
no matter what has happened, no matter how I feel today, I'm not going to let my circumstances or my emotions be the dictator of my life. I'm going to trust God and his promises. I'm going to cling to him. I'm going to wait for that refreshment from him. But I'm trusting that it's coming. And I'm going to forget what lies behind me. And I'm going to strain towards what is ahead. And I'm going to press on towards the goal. I may have to change my pace for a little while, but I'm never going to stop pressing towards the goal to make progress, towards this upward call of what God has called me to and the spirit of God within me is committed to seeing through in my life. I pray that over you, my dear friends, and I need it as much as any one of us in here. Let me pray for that second win. Lord, you are the source and sustainer and life giver. You are our hope. Lord, you are the one with the energy and the passion and the wisdom and the knowledge and the toughness and the resilience that we need. And God, I thank you that it's these things aren't gifts that you just give to us from time to time as we need them. These are gifts that your Holy Spirit has 100% all the time. And you put your Holy Spirit within us. So be our peace and be our wisdom and be our resilience and be our trust. Be our minister and our comforter and our encourager, Father. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would refresh your body, that there would be second wind, second mile Jesus followers that would walk out of here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.